So hi everybody, I'm Wendy Murdoch. I've been doing a series of webinars since March of 2020. This is number 52 of the webinars that I've been doing in this series. Um, and today my talk is about the Surefoot pads and the Surefoot Equine Stability Program. I'm calling it Do's, Don'ts, Duration and Damage. Because recently I've been getting a number of questions and I've seen a lot of things on the Surefoot Equine page and on the fans page. And so I thought it would be really good to just do a webinar to address some of these things. Um, you know, it's really exciting to see how many people have been joining the fans page and how many people through the webinars and just in general are really um, finding that Surefoot is making a great difference to a whole lot of horses. And that is our basic uh, uh, goal. Our goal as Surefoot Equine is to make sure that we can help as many horses as possible by making the information available not only about Surefoot, but about other parts of the horse and other things going on, because Surefoot is only one piece of this gigantic puzzle. And what I think of about the Surefoot pads more than anything is that they act like a magnifying glass. So they do really help you see what's going on with your horse. And what I mean by that is, that when your horse is standing on a surefoot pad, you can see how he's loading that foot. You can see if there's more pressure toward the toe or toward the inside or the outside. You can see if the foot is underneath the shoulder or if it's medial or lateral of the shoulder, meaning toward the midline or away from midline. You can see the muscles in the pecs activate and you can watch the chest change and you can watch the sternum change and you can see horses swaying and rocking and licking and chewing and sighing. You can see how much they can relax. And so often we have a misconception of our horse because his habit is so strong that we assume that's his personality. But in the eight years of doing Surefoot, the thing I've discovered more than anything is that most of the behavior problems, like 90 to 99%, are actually balance problems. And that can be mental, emotional, or physical. But it's expressed in the behavior of the horse. And if we simply deal with the symptom of telling the horse to quit it and stop doing that and be, you know, stand there and don't, 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 then we're missing the point. And the point is that he's trying to tell us in the only way he can that something is out of kilter, that something isn't quite right. Because when a horse is self-confident, grounded, and balanced, they can observe their world, they can take in what's around them, they can process that information, and they can make good choices. And our job in educating our horse is to help him to become curious, interested, and educate him so that he can look around his world and look at different things that are going on and make sense of it as opposed to have to be frightened by it. Now, you know, right now we have this pandemic, and one of the things that we can see is that there are a lot of people that are really afraid and rightly so. Um, and so, you know, when there's something that we can't understand, that we can't control, that's out of our control, we often go to different strategies to solve those problems. And, you know, I find it fascinating because I'll take my surefoot pads and I'll set up a balance trail. And I'll do this when I'm teaching a riding clinic. And I put them in different orders and I add different kinds of pads, like some human ones as well as horse ones. And I let everyone walk over the pads on their own the first time. And I just have them stand for two to three seconds with both feet on the pads, say it's both on the hard or both on the soft, and just stand there for two to three seconds and then continue. 
And so the first time, I just let them go through on their own. And almost everyone can navigate the pads when they're by themselves. Almost everyone can do some of the obstacles that I have. I have one that's a blow up and they have to put both feet on it. It's very rocky. And some people make a wise decision and choose not to stand on that one. And other people feel challenged by it and stand on it and are rather unbalanced, but they're okay. And other people can stand on it and they're fine. But I let them do this at their own pace and without outside interference. And then what I do is I have them come back and stand on even the simplest pad, say the firm pad. And I walk up and I apply a little pressure to their chest or to their back. And so why am I doing this? I'm exerting a force, an outside influence on the person who thought they were perfectly fine on their own, who thought they could navigate the trail without any problems. And what I see most typically when people are navigating on their own is they tend to stand and brace and push up against the pad. And as you do that, it raises your center of mass and it makes it you less stable. So Dr. Feldenkrais used to talk about one of my favorite terms, the polygon of sustentation. And what the polygon of sustentation is, is the area over which something is standing. So if you put your feet really, really wide, you have a broader base to be able to support your weight. And if you put your feet really, really close together, you're very tippy. So if we take the example of someone who does Tai Chi, they stand with a broad stance, often with the feet offset, to increase the base of support, the polygon of sustentation. And they lower themselves down by bending their knees and their hips and their ankles. And as you lower yourself down, you increase your stability. But then if we were to take someone who's doing ballroom dancing as the female, as the woman, now the base of support is super narrow and you have a very fine edge. And then of course they put you up on, on spike heels, two inch heels is what I used to dance on. And, and the reason for that is as we decrease the base of support, we have greater possibilities of movement. In other words, then they can take you and twirl you around and spin you around on the dance floor. When I first started doing ballroom dancing, I came from Tai Chi and my instructor was like, I can't move you, you know? And it was, I mean, it was in hindsight, it's kind of funny because I was so used to grounding and being stable and solid. But for dancing, you need to narrow that base of support. So when I have people go through the balance trail the first time on their own, it's very common to see people push up and to straighten the knees and brace against the pads and find their balance in that way. And I think this is because from about seven months of age, the thing that we had to learn to do to stand was to push against the ground. If we did not learn to push against the ground, we would have never stood. And there are people, there are children that do not learn to do that and therefore they cannot stand. Now, as we push against the ground, the earth pushes back and this is called ground reaction force. So for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. You push against the ground, the ground pushes back on you and that lets you stand. When the horse goes to jump, he pushes against the ground, the ground pushes back on him, that allows him to jump. If that didn't happen, he wouldn't be able to get off the ground. But when people go over the balance trail and use this strategy, they're raising their center of mass, they're decreasing their base of support, and they're more tippy. So then I come along and I push on them. And I don't push very hard, in fact, I don't have to, because they're, they're 
reflexive reaction is to straighten more or to tense more. And as they do that, they become even more unstable. And so for me, it takes almost nothing. I have to be super careful because some people, it takes so little that I have to be ready to catch them because they're so off balance once I add an external force. And I disprove their belief system. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to show them that when there's an external force, they're really not as stable as they thought. Now, the fascinating thing about this exercise, and I've been doing this for seven years, um, the thing that's so fascinating about this exercise when I work with people is how they react to that instability. And the way people react to the instability varies. But what I can tell you that happens is some people get angry. Some people physically want to hit me. Some people are shocked. Some people are depressed because, oh, I wasn't so stable. And some people are dejected. And so we see these different responses reactions to instability. And now let's think about our horses. What do we see in horses when they're unstable? We see flight. I have people that just jump off the pads and are like, oh, I'm done, I can't do this, right? We fly. Uh, fight. I have some people literally, I go to push on them and they feel unstable and they're ready to hit me, right? So they react with fight. We have some people that are just depressed. They give up. They're, oh, I'll never be able to do this, right? And we have some horses that become incredibly dejected and you'll see them, they're very sullen. And so what I'm trying to point out here is that when we feel instability, we react in the same way that a horse does. And when we are not in control of our environment, as we are right now, we react. And we react in different ways. Anger, denial, fear, rejection, acceptance. You know, I once saw a Lenny Bruce movie, and this was back when I was like 16. And I've never forgotten this from that movie, that these stages that we go through in order to process information. Anger, denial, fear, rejection, acceptance. And they don't have to happen in that order, and we can cycle through them. Some people call it stages of grief. But it's something that our, our nervous system has to go through to process information. And so some of the people, when I push on them, get angry. Some are in denial. Now, I, that, I can do this. You know, you just didn't push. You know, you didn't let me get ready. That's the common one. You didn't let me get ready. Well, you know, in writing, you have to be ready all the time, right? And it's your habit of how you respond to the external force that I'm looking at, okay? Fear. You know, the horses are afraid, we're afraid. In this pandemic, I think fear is one of the predominant issues that is going on right now. Rejection, nope, it's fine, everything's fine, this isn't happening to me, I'm fine, right? Oh, sorry, that's denial. But rejection, nope, I'm not gonna accept this, right? And then finally, we get to acceptance. And so when we get to acceptance, we've probably gone through all those other phases, but it's at that moment that we can actually learn, process, figure out something new, integrate new information, find a better solution. And that's what we're looking for for your horse, a better solution to his behavior through improved balance and grounding. Now, I don't leave my students there. I don't leave them with what I call the disillusionment phase because the illusion when they went over the pads on their own was that they could navigate the pads and they were fine. And then when I apply this external force of pushing on the chest or pushing on their back, I disillusion them to that fact. 
they really aren't as secure as they thought. Everything is not as okay as they hoped. But I can't leave them there because what's the point of just showing you what you can't do? The point is to show you what you can do. And so I take them through the pads a third time. And this time I teach them how to be more secure by increasing their base of support. And I'm just gonna grab Neville here because he happens to be nearby. Because this is really important whether you're standing, holding your horse, riding, working with sure foot pads. The ability to lower your center and become more stable has to do with your joints. So this is a little off sure foot topic, but actually it relates. Okay, so here's Neville. Okay, whoa, I got it. Oh, I'll just put him against my black. Okay, so if he straightens and goes up, he increases his instability and it takes very little force to push him over. And what most people do when I start to push on them, when you know I push on their chest or their back when they're on the pads, is they straighten and they go higher and that makes them more unstable. And now think about your horse. When he's anxious, he stiffens. And there's actually research that shows that the fight and flight response actually starts in the bones with a hormone called oxyocalcin and a glutamate response. And there's a paper, I posted it last September up on my um, webs, up on the Facebook page. And it's well-researched that they're finding that in adrenally optimized animals, you still have a flight response. And they're now figuring out that that's actually being triggered in the bones. So think about it. If you brace or stiffen, you're triggering that fight and flight response. And if the horse braces or stiffens, he's triggering that fight and flight response. So if you're standing on the pads and your strategy is to stiffen and straighten, you're now way more unstable. And I take advantage of the lever that you've created, this long lever of your leg, and it takes almost no force to knock you off balance. And this is true in the horses. So they stiffen and brace, and then they go to look, and they turn their head, and they're falling through their shoulder, and they're off, right? And then we're chasing. And then, you know, everything just goes from there. But in order to be more stable, what you need to do, and I call it knees forward down, okay? So here's Neville's knee, okay? And I can't show you his feet because I have to keep him up against my black shirt. But if the knees move forward down, what you can see is that the hip angle, this angle right here, opens. And as it opens, the pelvis is moving over the feet, right? So if I can get his feet in the picture, okay? As the knees move forward down, his pelvis can come forward over his feet. So now his head is over his feet. But if he pushes back and braces, now we're going to get this situation where his head is way in front of his feet and he's very unstable. And this is what allows me to knock the rider over with very little effort. And so that third time through the balance pads, I teach the knees to move forward down. The rider had to move the knees forward down with a flat back, which lowers their center of mass, increases their base of support, makes them more stable without bracing. And believe me, at that point, when they figure it out, I can push as hard as I want, and they are totally stable. And this is what we want for our horses to figure out how to soften in the joints in a way that lets them ground to be secure. And I think that this is one of the things that's happening when horses are standing on sure foot pads, that it's softening the joints, it's relaxing things, and so the softer joints allows them to be more grounded and more stable. And obviously there's a lot of other things going on like neurochemicals and fascia and ting points and you name it. 
but this softening in the joints that lets the horse be more grounded so that if there is something to look at, he can look without losing his balance. And so, um, <laughs> breaking bones, yeah, broken a few bones. And so this is one of the things that I teach in all my riding workshops is how the rider can be more secure in the saddle by using this exact principle. And I started doing surefoot with the horses first, but then I, a friend of mine, Pam Woolley, actually said, you know, I'm putting the riders on the pads. And I was like, wow, great idea. And so I started putting riders on the pads and I realized, wow, we're actually, it's the same thing that we need to have that feeling of solid security and balance. And when that happens, our nervous system calms down and we're able to deal with our environment and what's happening in our world. And when we don't feel grounded and safe and secure, then the world can feel like a really scary place. And right now what we need more than anything is to feel balanced and safe and secure. And so if you do have sherwood pads, I suggest you go stand on them as well, as you do with your horse. All right, so do go stand on your pads and do think about how you respond to different things. And if it's similar to your horse in terms of behavior, and how can we help both owners, riders, and horses feel more grounded and safe and secure so that we can work together? And that's really what this is so much about, is finding that grounding and stability. Now, I've had a lot of people, um, I, there's been a lot of posts up on the fans page, and I love the interaction that's going on on the Surefoot fans page. And if you don't belong to Surefoot fans, please join. Um, People post horses, pictures of horses, and ask questions and, you know, talk about their horses and share stories. And it's just so nice to see this community coming together. And it's really great and very supportive. Um, and so I highly recommend you join the fans group. Um, and the thing is that sometimes we see some photos of horses standing on pads in different ways. And so I felt that it was important to talk about some of the do's and some of the don'ts of using surefoot pads. So one of the do's is to keep the duration really short, especially in the beginning. Because I've noticed a lot of posts where people are putting their horses on pads for five minutes in the very first session. And what I have to really remind you is that I literally timed the first session for 15 seconds. The first time I put a foot on a pad, I timed it for 15 seconds, which is really, really short and there was a major change. And so in those first few sessions, really think about keeping the duration short, like under a minute, and only doing one foot several times. So the tendency when you see the pictures on Facebook and you see the videos and you see all these different things is that the horse might be on three or four pads or somebody says, well, my horse stood there for 20 minutes. But when you're really starting out, it's so important to keep the duration short. Think about it in seconds, 15 seconds, 10 seconds, five seconds, maybe 30 seconds. I've had horses that have really only just grazed the pad with their foot and had massive changes. And we know from Dr. Martinez webinar, which I highly recommend you watch. Um, it's actually one of the most popular on the YouTube channel right now. Is she talks about all the fascia and so think of it as putting a little tiny input into the system 
and then allowing that input to have a, a point, a moment to process. So 15 seconds, walk them off the pad, let them go for a walk if they wanna move. Some horses do wanna stand. So do allow your horse to stand if they've come off the pads and they're like, wait a second, I need to think about this. Because I've had some people email and say, you know, my horse didn't wanna move after they came off the pads. And while we recommend that you take them for a walk, it's so important that you listen to your horse. And if he comes off and says, you know, I just wanna stand here for a minute, allow him that time. Allow him the opportunity to process the piece of information. Every horse is so different in the way they respond to Surefoot. And so, you know, I can never say how your horse is gonna respond. I can only say from the experience that I've had, what I've seen. And this is another question that I get quite often. You know, my horse is 15 years old, off the track thoroughbred, had a suspensory problem, blah, blah, blah. Will Surefoot help? Honestly, I don't know. I can only say it's worth a try. In each individual case, there's so many factors that are not being told to me. And it's not that people don't wanna tell me, it's that we don't remember. We don't think about it. I cannot tell you how many times I've been working with a rider and I'm, I'm doing some, something with their leg and you know, I've interviewed them in the beginning as I do with all my students. Do you have any injuries new or old that I should know about? Oh no, I'm fine. Nope, no problem. And I'm working with their leg and I'm like, you know, this leg feels a little sticky or this ankle doesn't feel quite right. No, I can't remember anything. No, I'm fine. And then they go for a walk and they come back. Oh yeah, two weeks ago I broke that ankle or my horse stepped on my foot or, you know, when I was a kid, it, I nearly cut my foot off or, you know, <laughs> I had polio. I mean, literally, these are the stories that get reported to me. But we forget. You know, things happen to us, and just like our horses, we compensate. Horses and humans are masters at compensation because we don't want to show weakness. And I don't think there's any difference between horses and humans in this way. We don't want to show our weaknesses. We want to feel strong. And so we forget our nervous system's very good at taking the past and kind of stuffing it away. You know, in 1984, I had a horse roll on top of me and break my hip socket and punch the femur through the socket and kick me between the legs when he got up. And while I can remember parts of that, moments of that, I cannot recall the pain that I know I was in at all. And so our nervous system, it's marvelous. It has this way of sort of erasing certain things where we can remember parts of it, but not others so that we can keep going. And so horses and humans all the time, they give me part of the story, but not all of the story. And then it starts to come out as we work, whether that's putting a horse on a pad and I go, wow, well, look at the way he's standing on this. Oh yeah, well, he has a shoulder injury that happened two years ago. Oh really? But they don't remember it. And we tend to think that it's not important anymore. But all of these things accumulate. And unless we address them, they're there. They're there on some neurologic, emotional level, unless we process it out. And that's so much of the work of vagus nerve that people are discovering now, is that we have to process this stuff out, and the best way is through movement. So one of the things that's so important, especially when you're starting with the pads, is to allow the horse to move off. 
do let them walk off, even if they've only just barely put their foot down on the pad. Because if they're moving off, they're not in balance anyway. And that's exactly what we're looking at. So this is a really important tenet to not force the horse to stay on the pad. Do allow them to walk off. But to allow them to walk off, they can't be tied up. And so if the horse is on cross ties or tied, they can't move or they might fidget or they might fuss. And I know there are circumstances where it's very difficult to allow a horse not to be tied up. And there's big barns where there's a lot of activity and other things are going on. And it's kind of a rule that if the horse is out of the stall, it's gotta be on cross ties or held or in some way. But you could use one cross tie and you could put it on the upper ring so that he can move a little bit. Because one of the horse things horses really wanna do when they're on sure foot pads is lower their head and neck. And if we restrain them from that, if we have them on cross ties where they can't lower their head and neck, then they're not allowed to let the whole top line let go. And so um, it's important to, as best as you can, and given your circumstances, have the horses free of cross ties, do not have them tied up. In other words, have them on a lead, allow them to move. And, and again, it's, you know, we don't do this on purpose, but I cannot tell you how many times I've been putting a horse's foot on a pad and the other, don't move, don't move, stay there, stay on the pad. And I'm like, it's totally okay. That's what we're looking at. Because, you know, we want our horses to be good. We want our horses to be good citizens and not misbehave, right? We want them to stand there when we ask them and to be good for the farrier and be good for the veterinarian and, and just do what we ask. But with Surefoot, we're asking a very fundamental question. Do you feel secure when you're standing on a soft pad? And just like when I pushed on the people on the balance trail and showed them that they were unstable, when we put a horse's foot on a Surefoot pad, we're asking that same question. Hey, how do you respond when you're on an unstable surface? Because that's what the pads are, is an unstable surface. Are you able to stand there? or? Did you lose your balance? And if so, hey, it's okay, because if I restrain you at this moment, I've now put you in a bind between you're feeling unstable and you need to move and you can't move, and now are you in trouble? Do you have to worry? Are you anxious? But if we just say, well, there he goes, and I can't tell you how many times it's like, oh, there he goes, you know, and um, I've had horses I've worked with for days, and whoop, there they go, they can't stay on a pad. But it's okay, because that's what we're looking at. That's exactly that magnifying glass that we want to see. We want to see, is this horse able to stand? And if not, then where is it in the system that we can use a pad to help develop the awareness and the grounding so that the horse can? You know, and I can't tell you the number of people that have come up to me my horse will not stand still you'll never get that pad underneath his foot he oh he can't stand still oh he's always a fidget and I just start to work I let them walk off I don't force anything I allow them to move I bring them back I do it again and I three or four five six times and the next thing they're like wow my my horse is standing still what'd you do I just use the sure foot pad and so you know these are the kinds of things that we become habituated to different ideas and we, we don't even know we're doing it, right? Like when I go to pick up a leg and, and the person's like clucking, 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 come on, sweetie, pick up your foot, pick up your foot. And it's like, 
it's okay if they don't pick up a foot. Actually, that's part of what I wanna know. So if the horse doesn't pick up his foot, and believe me, 99.9% .9 of the horses that we're working with have had their feet picked up, right? If it's a foal, that's a different story, but you know, we pick up horses' feet. And so if their foot's not lifting, I have to ask the question, maybe this is his, his supporting leg and he doesn't wanna give it up. Maybe I'm on the wrong foot. And if he does pick it up, what's the quality? Is it stiff? Is it heavy? Is it light? Is it dead? Is it limp? And those are all questions I'm asking as I pick up that foot. What is the quality of this leg as I pick it up? Does he have to like think about it and shift his weight? Does he come up a little and just rest his toe? Does it feel like I'm lifting the entire building? Right? So it's not just the pad under the foot. It's the quality of the leg as I lift it that I'm looking and assessing and already doing in a, a, like a, a run through my head. Wow, this leg's heavy, this leg's light, this leg's you know, different. And where does the foot go when I put it down? Does it land on the pad? Maybe not. Maybe it just lands on a corner. That's okay too. So do allow the horses to move and really think about the environment where you're working. So if you know that this is a horse that's fidgety and needs to move, then go to an area that's more open or go to a quieter place, somewhere where you don't have a lot of distractions and he can focus. Um, and I know that, you know, and it's one of the things that I also know is when, when I put up pictures, it tends to be when the horse is on more than one pad, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four. And the reason for that is, when I'm only working with one pad, when I'm working in the beginning, he's moving, I'm moving with him. I can't grab my camera and take a picture as I'm just doing one pad because there's too much going on. And when the horse is ready to stand on two pads, I can step back and take a picture, right? So I think that's why we see so many pictures with horses on multiple pads, because at that point, you actually have a hand where you can get your camera, you have some time, you can take the picture, you can you know, step back and see what the horse is doing. But the reason there aren't a lot of pictures in the other stages is because things are happening. The horse is walking off or you've taken him for a walk and you've come back and you've done one foot and he stepped off in two seconds. It's okay. But that's why I think we don't see more images of the early stages. And it's not that they're not happening. We just don't capture them as much. We tend to capture the moments when the horse is on maybe two pads, maybe three pads. He's starting to yawn, he's standing quietly, he's not walking off the pads. And so that's the moment we have more time that we can step back and take that picture. So again, do allow the horse to walk off. Do have him on a lead where he can move. Avoid as best you can tying a horse or being on cross ties for the reasons of limiting his neck and not his ability to put his neck down and let his back relax is the biggest one. But, you know, I, I, I will tell you that one time I gave a farrier pad to a farrier and, you know, he was working on this horse and he turned his back to do something. Horses on cross ties, horses on the pad, turned his back and the next thing the cross ties were broken. And that's the last thing we want to have happen. We don't want to give the horse a fright. We're not trying to increase the anxiety. We're trying to decrease it. So anytime you can do anything that's going to make it easier, decrease the stress levels, allow more 
room, more possibilities. That's always a good idea. Okay, so nobody's really asked any questions. If you have any questions um, on Facebook Live, I'm only on the webinar, so I can't answer any questions on Facebook Live. If you are posting questions there, I'll get to them at the end of the webinar. Um, so do's, don'ts, and then I'm gonna go back over to my photos here. The other question that I get a lot is about the pads themselves. And you know what we have to realize is that we can make a pad that will never get damaged and it will not work. So there's no point. We are putting a very large creature with a hoof on a squishy surface and that's why they work. But given that, your pad's gonna get some damage. And I think of it as a badge of use, like it's really great to see a pad that has some nicks and tears and cuts. But I do realize that people love the color of their pads. And I, I really do too. You know, I love the bright colors and I love how they look when they come out of the package. And they're not gonna look that way when you use them for a while. And this is uh, the question that I've had a lot lately is, you know, is this covered under the warranty? So the warranty is really about manufacturing defects. It's really about if the pads delaminate, meaning that the layers come apart, or if the pad literally breaks in two. But you have to realize what we're doing. We're taking a hoof that may or may not have a shoe, that may or may not have sharp edges, and we're putting it on a soft surface in order to create the environment for this horse to become self-aware and change. And so these are tools, right? They're a vehicle toward change, and they're not gonna look so pretty after you use them for a while, okay? Um, and in that regard, you know, we warranty our products against delamination and breakage. And if there's a really significant damage, what I do is people send me an email and say, is this covered under warranty? I answer all of those emails personally. I keep all of the photos and I need a photo, all of the photos on file. And I keep them so that if something gets worse, you can send me another picture, I can take a look at it, and I can determine when it meets warranty. And when it meets warranty, we will replace the pad. And I don't know anywhere else where you can beat the crap out of a piece of equipment and somebody's going to replace it if it really gets bad. You know, the last time I bought a bridle, the reins were not insured against being broken by my horse. And so just think about what the cost of a bridle is and somebody accidentally leaves the reins on the ground and the next thing the horse steps on, your brand new bri bridle with reins are broken. You can't go back to the bridle company and say, replace my reins. They're gonna tell you, what? You know, that's your problem. And so, you know, I am not on, in control of your horse, of how he's shod, of how you, how you approach your horse, but I can warranty my product and my product will hold up. We have pads that are in use for, well, we've been making them for four years and they're still in use. They just don't look as nice as when you started. So I'm gonna show you some different pictures of what people have sent to me and asked me, is this damage and is this covered under warranty? And I'm gonna show you my pads, okay? Um, and I'm just gonna get my screen share up. Do, do, do. Do, do, do. Go, get that out of the way. Okay, I'm just gonna stop and reshare just to make sure I got the share up. 
There we go. Okay. This is a hard slant and someone sent this pad to me and asked me if this was damage. No, this is not damage. This is normal wear and tear. You can simply see a hoof mark there on the pad. Oops. Let's see if I can get to the next one. And you can see here's the picture of the whole pad and it's, uh, it's just a scuff mark, really, okay? Here's another picture of someone sending me a picture of their pad asking me if this is covered by warranty. No, this is a little tiny nick, could have been caused by a clock if the horse had a clock. Here's a tiny little line. No, this is not covered by warranty. Here's a firm slant. It's going to have little cracks in the surface. You are putting a large creature on a soft, squishy surface. Here's my hard pad, okay? This is normal wear and tear. What I want you to realize is you have a 10 by 12 surface area on which to place the horse's foot. The edges are always gonna get a little higher wear than the middle. And if the horse slips off the pads or catches a corner, these kinds of things can happen, but they're considered normal wear and tear. And you can see that this might even come off. It's still normal wear and tear, okay? Here's my other pad. And as again, what you can see is if the horse slips off the edges, you're going to get some nicks and tears and cracks. It's normal, but look at the amount of surface area you have to place your horse's foot. So, and so that's what you have to realize is, you know, one of the reasons we make them the size that we make them is so that there is plenty of surface area. Let's see, I just, I'm just answering a question here. I just purchased a firm slant pads to try with my quarter horse, 23, who has Cushing's and has had laminitis, but is under control with medication. I've noticed that she tends to paddle her hind feet at times and thought this might help feel her, okay. Uh, Anyway, she gets her gel boots for her front feet. And you might also, um, Sheila, you might also have a pair of flat pads because, you know, when you only have the angled pairs, that's the only choice that she has. Um, and so I might suggest that you just also have a pair of flat pads and you can mix and match those pads, okay? Um, let me get back here. Here's my firm pad. As you can see, uh, obviously the horse stepped on it at the toe and caused a crack this is normal wear and tear, okay? This is still normal wear and tear. This is still normal wear and tear. You know, I've been using this pad a bit and you can see that the surface has a crack here, right? It's got a crack there, it's got a crack there, got a crack there. That's still all normal wear and tear. Now, I had Brad step on the pad so that you can see when you add pressure to that edge, that tear opens a little. But one of the things about our products is that they're all pre-expanded foams. In other words, when you take the pressure off the pad, it's gonna go back and look like this. So it's not going to get worse. People say, well, it's gonna get worse. It's like, go ahead. And that's the thing you really have to realize is, if it gets worse, if it gets really bad, send me a photo. I'll take a look at it. When it meets warranty, I'll replace your pad. So, you know, you really, it's kind of like, um, if anybody's ever bought boots from L.L. Bean, uh, you'll know that you can send back five-year-old boots that look like crap and they'll replace them. Well, that's what we're saying here is that, you know, um, the, the, oh, here, here a crack, there a crack. Yeah, right, Marianne. Um, um, that you are putting a large foot on a soft surface. This is just a mark. This is on the flip side of that firm pad. It's, it's just a mark. 
okay? These are just normal. This is normal. This is normal. Um, as I said, we can make pads that will not do this and they will not work. So there's no point. And we went through a lot of different foams to come up with the materials that we use that are highly durable and work. And that's what we're always dealing with. Now I will show you some damage that is covered under warranty. Okay, so that you can see what I'm talking about. And I'm just gonna make that picture large. Um, and that's delamination. Okay, so here's a picture of delamination where the layers have become separated. And this is a manufacturing defect and this is covered under warranty. And as you can see here, the two layers of foam are coming apart, okay? And so this is covered under warranty because it's a manufacturing defect. Now, I continually work with my manufacturers to come up with better glues and better solutions. We're using a variety of foams. They're very specific foams. And um, you can see that the glue actually in that case is pink so that we can make sure we get really complete coverage. But of course, nothing's perfect and we do our best. And my manufacturer does their best to make products that are as, as perfect as possible. And so, you know, we, we try really, really hard and we've got a lot of product out there over the past four years. We try really hard to make sure that our products are gonna hold up in terms of manufacturing. And as I said, nothing's perfect, damage does happen, manufacturing problems do happen but what you need to do is simply send me a photo i keep it on file when the damage meets our warranty we replace the pad um, you know i recently had someone email me and um, it was something that you know there was clearly a mark on the pad and it was there was a cut but there was also the top color had almost looked like um, it had been peeled. And when I looked at that, to me that said, that horse's foot drug across that pad or somehow that horse didn't lift that foot off and step off that pad. And so I was really curious about how the person had approached her horse with the pads because when I see something like that, I start to wonder if either the horse isn't really comfortable as the owner might think and kind of pulled back and drug its foot over the top of the pad and kind of, sh it was like the paint was roll ruffled. It was really quite interesting. Um, in which case, I'm gonna go start to talk about duration. Here we are again. Keep the duration short. My first horse was 15 seconds. I timed it. I did that with all of his feet. We don't need to have the horses standing on pads for long periods of time to have an effect. It's also really, really important when you're starting out with your horse to make it very short to give the horse the chance to figure out what's going on. This is something that is entirely out of his normal world. It's something he's not used to experiencing. And when we have them stand on it too long, you know, we haven't had the process of step on the pad, go for a walk, step on the pad, get off. I always tell people that horses can't tell time. They don't know when something's gonna end if they haven't done it before. If I told you, you know, look, I'm gonna like put an ace bandage around your arms 
And I don't tell you one, that you can take it off, or two, that I'm gonna take it off in 30 seconds, you might get a real fright about feeling confined. And so one of the things about walking the horse off, or even, and I'll do this quite often with a horse that I'm seeing that he's not quite sure, is I lift his foot and kick the pad out from under his foot and then put his foot back down. I don't even ask him to walk off. I do that part for him so that he doesn't have the experience of feeling the squishy pad and maybe getting a fright. If I see any concern whatsoever, I'll take their foot off and I might take it off right away. If I put the foot down and I see anything that he feels concerned, I just take his foot back off and kick the pad out of the way. Because horses can't tell time. They don't know that this is going to end. They don't know that it's only for seconds. They might think it's for the rest of their life. Just like if I put that ace bandage on you and didn't tell you, A, you could take it off, and B, I'm gonna take it off in 10 seconds. And so we really have to be thinking about helping the horses understand the process that we're going through with them. Um, that they understand, um, oh yeah, hang on, I'll answer that. Um, that they understand this is a process of on, off, on, off, on, off. And one of the things that does is it toggles their nervous system. So, you know, in order for a horse to learn something, in order for you to learn something, you need to have several experiences of that thing. So just think about the last time, like, you know, figuring out Zoom, you had to figure out how to get on the webinar. <laughs> Right? And the first time you like you were you missed the time you were late you couldn't get your sound to connect you know and then the next time is like okay I know I have to hit this button but you know three other things happened that you hadn't planned on um, I'm still figuring out parts of Zoom even though I've been doing webinars for two months now um, it's a learning process Surefoot is a learning process. And part of the learning process is that they need the pause in between the pads. So standing on the pad, either take their foot off or walk them off or you know, whatever after 15 seconds, let them figure that out and then repeat. And again, short duration so that they're like, they get a chance to go, oh, I stand on this, I come off. I stand on this, I come off. It's a choice, it's an offer. And um, I think that if, if these are the simple things that, you know, I know that I do, and I try to convey that in all the materials that I have, and I try to reinforce the fact that short duration, you know, have them off cross ties on a lead. I realize that's not always 100% possible, but understanding the reasons why I'm saying this and keeping the duration short is actually gonna be of great benefit to you as you work with your horse. You know, the, the whole thing has just been such a fascinating journey. Um, and just from start to finish, and it's not done, um, but going through this and realizing that we need to learn to be better observers, just in general, that very often we don't really recognize what's in front of us. And I'll tell you a little story just to give you an example. Um, we had a maple tree in front of the house and I was away traveling and Brad sent me a picture. He sent me two pictures. He sent me a picture of the front of the house and he sent me a picture of the driveway. And I looked at the two pictures and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. What's going on? He moved a 30 foot tree from the front of the house to the driveway and I did not see it. 
on the photos. He had to tell me before I saw it. Because for me, when I'm you know, teaching and people go, wow, you have a great eye. Well, I only have a great eye if it moves, right? If it moves, I can see things. But I did not see that he moved a tree. And so we all need to become better at observing, you know, whether that's using Surefoot or just in life. Um, um, and so that's really important. And so somebody's asked a question, how about using Surefoot pads in a stall? And what I'm gonna tell you is, if that horse is stall bound, in other words, that horse is, is for some reason can't come out of the stall, then yes, but you have to be super careful because you're in a very confined space. And if the horse is an anxious horse, then you have to be 10 times more careful um, because if they get worried and come off the pad quickly or you know, go forward, you want to not be in the way. So um, typically if, I, if I'm gonna work in a stall, I will have started that horse in an open space, in a small paddock, in a round pen, in the arena, somewhere where he's, he's already familiar with Surefoot before I use it in the stall. Now Felicitas, who's been doing Surefoot with her horses for years now, takes the horses when they're at the horse show and works in the stall. But these horses are super familiar with it. They totally get what's going on. They're not nervous at all. They look forward to the pads. In fact, she tells a story about her stallion. It's like, oh, Surefoot pads, when she came in with the bag, right? Um, all right, so I have another question. Say, we're always standing, trying to get our horses to stand, still grooming, tacking, mounting block. It's so, so important to let them know it's okay to step off. Yes, yes. And that's, and I agree with you, Diane, is that when we stop to think about it, we're always managing their movement. You know, move here, don't move here. <laughs> stand at the mounting block, you know, don't walk away. Um, yes, and, and it's a habit. And we don't even recognize the habit. And this is where, you know, I don't get upset with my clients when they're like, be good, stand still. I just point it out to them because they don't even realize that they're doing it. It's such an unconscious habit. We're told that, you know, if the horse moves, he's being disrespectful, that we have to stand our ground, that we have to not let him move our feet. Well, I think that that's not what we're doing with Surefoot. That may be true of what other people say and what they want in their environments. But with Surefoot, we're actually asking the question, do you feel stable? Are you able to stand? And if the answer is no, then let's go. Because, you know, he's gonna start to realize, okay, like if I feel like I'm off balance, I can move my feet to catch my balance. You know, my other example is, you're leaning over the edge of a cliff and somebody comes along and starts poking on you. And you're going to feel really, really worried. And then they're going to jerk on you and tell you you can't go anywhere and you have to lean over the cliff, right? And that's, I think, how some horses feel. They feel like they're falling over a cliff. Now, why is that? Go back and watch some of these videos that webinars we've been doing about feet. Go back and watch Yogi Sharp's webinar from yesterday and Monique's from a couple of days ago. And you start to realize that if, if their horse's feet aren't in balance, it's going to affect his whole system. Now, I'm not here to tell people how to shoe their horses or trim their horses, but we can use the surefoot pads as an insight, as a window into how their foot is balanced and get some clues about their balance and their habits and their organization that can help them. And the number of horses that now can be shod or trimmed without drugs having used surefoot pads, it's the number just increases on a daily basis because we help them find comfort and ease so that they can stand to have the work done. When you lift up a leg, you've just taken away 25% of their support. 
And if that's their stable leg and some another foot sore, now it's even more than that. So yeah, I mean, it's, um, we have ingrained in our culture that these horses have to behave and do what we tell them. Um, but this is an opportunity for us to ask the horse, how does he feel about it? Do you need to move? You know, recognizing that your pads are going to get nicks and tears and cuts. I think of it as badge of honor. I'm just going to go find you a pad that was in use. That's probably one of the worst pads I've ever seen. The woman was still using it. It was still doing its job. I'm going to quickly see if I thought I had it lined up here. Um, see if it's in this photo group. No, not there. I'll pull it into my photos. Um, I sent it to somebody. Let me see if I can find it in my email here real quick. Um, and, you know, I mean, the thing is mangled. <laughs> I will tell you. Um, it's really, and it was still working. It was still doing its job. And it was pretty darn ugly. And I'll just really quickly see if I can find this here. Uh, and I can't, but I can post a picture of it. I mean, it just, you know, has the surface is all cut up and everything, but it was still helping horses. So just remember, you know, we do stand behind our products and we do warranty their manufacturing, but you know, we, we never know what's going to happen when a horse stands on a pad. We really don't. We're hoping that it actually is a really positive experience. And we're really, um, I think the thing that, that for me that keeps driving me, because this thing has taken over my life, that keeps driving me is all the horses that are benefiting from Surefoot. And that to me is the most important thing, is that horses continue to benefit from Surefoot. So I thank you for your time. Uh, and. I'm not sure I understand your question, Mary. Next time, we'd love to see what impressions. Oh, yes. Um, um, next time, I've been taking photos of horses' feet and putting a ruler on them. And um, I need somebody else to be with me on that one so that we can talk about what we see in the prints um, in terms of load. Um, and so, yep, I'll see if I can get, uh, maybe I can get Ida Hammer on, me, on with me for that one. Um, with Sheila and her horses, the hind feet paddle. You know, the, the thing is that there's so many things that can cause that, that it's really hard from just reading a few words to know what's going on. Um, I think of it like quantum physics. You know, there's a part, two targets and they're gonna fire a particle gun. And it's a 50-50 probability it's gonna hit target A or target B. And then they fire the gun and they walk down and look at the target and then it's 100%. Well, so often there's a lot of things that we don't observe that's going on that's influencing what's happening. And all I can say is, you know, <laughs> is just, uh, you know, give it a chance and see what happens and maybe it'll lead you to a path of discovery. We've had a number of horses that used to twist their hocks that don't twist their hocks anymore after using Surefoot. And the only way I can explain that is that it activated the little tiny muscles that are stabilizers to keep the leg more organized for what the propulsion from the ground through the hip joint. Um, but honestly, um, you know, it's really hard to say what's going on from a few words. And I think that you're, if you're there with your horse and start to observe, you're going to discover some really interesting things. 
So thank you all for joining me on this webinar and thank you everybody on Facebook. Um, we'll be back next week. I'll be putting out the email this weekend. I think I might not get it up till Sunday, but um, if you are not on my mailing list, please join the mailing list at murdochmethod.com because I post the email with all the links to the guests for next week. I've got a full lineup. Um, if I can't tell you who they are because that program shut up, shut off right now, but um, I've got a full lineup. We'll have another great week of webinars. And thank you once again for joining me. And until uh, I, we might actually be doing a webinar, Ida Hammer is down in Indiana with a group of people, and we're going to try and hook up uh, a webinar from there. Can't promise anything, but stay tuned. Keep an eye on the Surefoot Equine channel, Facebook page. All right. Thanks again for joining me, and have a great day. Bye.